to have a good culture in the clubhouse, it's to know like, okay, let's learn from this. And now it's about preparing yourself, your mind, your body for the next day. The culture where guys hang out, you know, outside the stadium, that's a good place to be. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm honestly, it's not like that everywhere, but the Brewers have it and they have it in bunches. You're listening to The Quick Cast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome into The Quick Cast, the official podcast of Quick Trip. My name is Chris Calloway with the marketing department here at Quick Trip, and I'm joined today by Tim Dillard. Tim is former Milwaukee Brewers pitcher and a current studio analyst for Valley Sports Wisconsin and host of his own podcast as well with Sophia Minard and Adam McCalvey called Brewers Unfiltered. Tim, welcome into our podcast here, The Quick Cast. Yeah, quick cast. I'm on. Yeah, that Brewers uh, Unfiltered podcast. I think we just released an episode. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but after you're done listening to this one, maybe check that one out too. And of course, subscribe to both, rate five stars, all the things yeah, yeah, you're yeah. supposed to all say. The, of course, right that's there. implied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, we at Quick Trip here are happy to be a sponsor of the Milwaukee Brewers broadcast on Bally. I'm very happy to have those broadcasts back in my life here over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're recording here on the off day as the Brewers are coming off a long road trip on the West Coast. And they're 14 and five overall, seven and three on that long road trip, a roster full of young guys, and some injuries are actually stacking up as well. With all of those factors in play, what has impressed you most about the first few weeks of the regular season here with the Brewers? Oh, great question. What's impressed me most? Um, I would say, honestly, the rookies. The rookies. Um, and, and the new guys, uh, I think Brian Anderson, as soon as I saw the Brewers got him, I thought this is awesome. I played against that guy in the minor leagues. I know how filthy he is at third base. Didn't know how good he was at right field. Um, Contreras, you knew he could hit and he's doing some amazing things behind the dish, but you gotta love Weimer and Terrain and Mitchell. I hope Mitchell's okay. I think he subluxed his left shoulder. Um, so he'll be out a couple weeks. Uh, hopefully that's all. But what Weimer's been able to do in the outfield, what Bryce Terang does everywhere he walks, <laughs> it's just incredible that because a lot of times when you dedicate to a rookie, you know, out of the gate, you're going to start. Um, that's a big deal. But to have three guys that are playing the majority that are all rookies, I mean, that's a big leap of faith. And I think they've done nothing but ease the minds of Brewers fans and Brewers staff to say, hey, these guys were ready and I, they're doing fantastic. Yeah, I think what jumps out most to me about them is just their speed uh, and some of those things that it would be nice to be 22, 23 again to have that uh, sort of athletic ability. Uh, But, you know, the big grand slam by Terang earlier in the season, Weimer's been incredible in the uh, defensively in the outfield. What are some of those traits that you see in young players that make you think that, you know, these guys might stick around and actually be pretty productive as big leaguers? Well, they're just straight up athletic. Um, And with some of the new rule changes, talking about the bases and shift restriction and things like that, athleticism is going to play a bigger factor than it ever has been. Um, There was a play last night, Terrain caught a ball. um, And he makes everything look easy, by the way. If you watch him make a play and you sit there and go and and don't think much of it, probably was a very difficult play. And uh, anyway, watching the game and, and one of the guys in the room I was with was like, does Colton Wong make that play? And I was like, ooh, that's a great question. They said, does Luis Arias make that play? And I was like, ooh, good question. Because um, you have to have the athleticism and the foot speed, but at the same time, you got to have the accuracy of the throw and the arm strength. And so if you would combine Colton Wong and Luis Arias, you would have gotten that play made. 
Um, but I think Bryce Terang holds both. I think he's got the foot speed, but you know, he's never off balance. He's just a throwback to that kind of, I don't know, like, like you're watching Ozzie Smith run around there, you know, like just so much feel and athleticism and it makes everything look easy. That's what he has right now. And he can do it on either side of second base. He's been playing short and at second. I think you're talking maybe about that play where he was ranging back towards second, kind of the Derek Jeter jump throw to first. Yep. I don't know if it was last night or the he other night. Tumbles but... into center field. I mean, right. that, but it looks so smooth. I mean, yeah, he did the Jeter play on the second base side. <laughs> uh, I just like you watch it and you're going, it didn't look hard. Like he didn't, there wasn't a point where you're going, oh no, you were like, this guy's going to make this play. Uh, and that's what you're getting. You're getting it from all of them. Weimer picked up a ball in Arizona and threw an absolute missile into Terang, and Terang threw it to Contreras and got um, got a guy out at the plate. Um, you're watching Adamas, too, in his defense. So what, what I've seen and most excited about, I guess, is just the fact that this team um, and all the facets of the game have shown strength. The offense, the defense, the starting pitching, and the bullpen. The bullpen's the best in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned those rule changes, and – I would imagine as as a pitcher yourself, they're interesting to have to kind of readjust your every pitch, the way you you approach it. And I think, you know, the broadcasts have been doing a good job of explaining it to the common fan that, you know, might be tuning into the first couple of games uh, of the season. But one of the things is you're finding that some of the teams are able to not manipulate it, but kind of use a rule changes to their um, to their advantage you know, as we sort of learn about how they're being implemented. Uh, I know you guys talked about one with uh, Corbin Burns in the Mariners game and uh, the the tag out play. Um, Just kind of big picture, those rule changes. What have you, what have your early thoughts of that been and how the Brewers have kind of used those to their advantage? Well, that play in particular, it's going to, that sends a ripple effect to all of Major League Baseball because it's only for that moment, having a guy on first and second, it wouldn't work just having a guy on second. It wouldn't work with bases loaded. It wouldn't work unless it was a full count. <laughs> and Burns later on said he just came up with that on the fly. Uh, and I did. I mean, as soon as he was holding the ball, like every the batter is set up, the catcher set up, everybody's sitting there, and he's just holding the ball for like nine seconds, running the the pitch clock down, and everyone thinks he's trying to fool the hitter in this big moment. And I did too. And I was just like, this is strange. I I didn't expect this from Burns because his stuff is so good that it's like, he didn't have to try to trick you in that way. And then sure enough, he does an inside move and picks off the guy at second base Suarez. It it was just, I don't know. There's going to be little moments like that. But I think with each situation, you want to know how these rules are going to affect each situation. And I don't think that situation has come up, but now that it has, everyone's like, boom, check, got that one covered. Um, and you're going to see a lot of that, whether it comes to, you know, what the batter's trying to do or what the pitcher's trying to do. But it, basically, the the pitch clock to me is the biggest one, the biggest problem that they need to fix. It needs to be longer or not have it at all. Um, and that's because uh, you're going to see these guys having to jump in the box with their bat and look at the pitcher. And then the other day, Evan Longoria gets in the box, looks at the pitcher and then looks down and calls. I think uh, was it Wade Miley on the mound? They called a, a strike on him or a ball. Uh, because he didn't engage and already was pitching. So you're like, we don't know. There's so much gray area, and it's making a lot of the pitchers and hitters mad. Um, so they need to kind of fix that because it's just, it's weird. It looks weird. And I don't think fans, I don't know, maybe they like the quick games, but they mm-hmm. don't like that weird stuff. Yeah, and I think it'll be particularly noticeable once we get to the playoffs where, you know, some of that drama builds in the big moments and you have a pitch clock counting it down. I'm not exactly 
how sh- that's going to go. But, you know, hopefully the big wigs in the MLB office can figure out exactly well, the best way it, to approach it's, it. Yeah, it's tough. And they, they need to take some of that feedback from these guys that have been around. You want to see the best in the game pitch? Well, let Max Scherzer work at whatever pace he wants to work at. You know, and most guys, I will say, if, if a starting pitcher goes out there and throws 100 pitches, he's probably throwing 90 of his pitches within the pitch clock regulations. Sure. And then there's a big moment where he needs to step off and gather himself or he needs to take a little bit longer, whether it's the signs or maybe it's trying to figure out the situation. So you still want to see the best in the world do it. But now it's, you know, if you take too long, you're penalized. If you're, if you're too quick, you're penalized. And, you know, that bothers people. It bothers pitchers. It's like, okay, well, now you're giving a product out there that's not its best. Um, and, and for the guys that have been around doing this and successful, they have to unlearn what they've been doing their entire lives. Uh, Trevor Hoffman, when they were in San Diego, do you see Trevor Hoffman on the on the uh, broadcast. I didn't, uh, I don't think I stayed up for that one now. Oh, sorry. I called you out on that <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> no, but like he was really good. It was, it, I think it was posted um, online. So you got to check that out. Uh, they didn't get a chance to go through uh, the, the, you know, what he thinks about the rule changes, but I was teammates with Trevor Hoffman and sure. I've heard him speak about what he does on the mound and why he was so successful. He would have had a problem with this pitch clock. He would have had to change his entire craft and what he was doing Uh, to fit within the parameters of that. So that's what we're talking about. There's guys that are that good that are hall of fame bound. And and now they have to manipulate their entire craft to fit into this. And um, you're, you're seeing some pushback, but I think MLB needs to have more conversations about it. Right. Yeah. We're three weeks into this. So we'll see exactly what shakes out here over the the next couple of months. But uh, talking about you a little bit, you were actually, actually drafted by the Brewers twice. Once in 2001, <laughs> once in uh, 2002, uh, high school and then college, if I, or junior college, if I got that right. Yep. Uh, what do you remember most about being 19 years old and being basically shipped across the country, going to play in Montana, Arizona, and trying to adjust and start a career in pro ball? <laughs> yeah, man, that was scary accurate. Uh, yeah, I got drafted as a catcher and at a high school. And I actually had a similar injury to what Garrett Mitchell has now. My left shoulder uh, subluxed. I actually was swinging for some scouts after a high school game, and it subluxed. Um, tried to, you know, kind of get hit through it. Couldn't. And turned around and batted left-handed. Batted 500 <laughs> for my last 22 at-bats in high school. And then just kind of rehabbed it over the summer and thought it was ready to go for college. And it, it wasn't. And it, um, it, it bothered me. So got... Dr. Andrews in Birmingham to fix it. He put a stitch in my labrum and it just took a year to come back to being able to swing again. And I, they drafted me, the Brewers drafted me again a second time in 2002, even though I really didn't play that much. Um, But I got a call out of nowhere at my parents' house and they were like, is this Tim? And I'm like, yeah, this is Tim. He's like, Hey, this is Larry Aaron. I'm a scout for the Brewers. We just drafted you in the 34th (laughs) round. And I was like, Oh, sick. I was like, wow. I didn't even, I didn't even play that much. I was like, great. You know? And, He's like, okay. And they like hung up. (laughs) So that was about the end of that. You know, I didn't really know much, but the draft and follow was, um, was still around before it was gone. And now it's back again. So uh, my second year junior college did really well, ended up signing with Ole Miss, uh, but I was pitching and catching. And so when it came time, they had to sign me. I was going back into the draft and the brewers were like, uh, we want to sign you, but we want to sign you as a pitcher. And I'd only been a catcher basically my entire life. I was very new to pitching. I just didn't want to lose. And we were kind of short on pitching in high school and college at times. So I was like, I just want to win, whatever that looks like. And they thought I'd have a really long career as a pitcher. And I ended up 
they were right. Played 18 years in professional baseball, but being 19 years old and going across the country, like I got kids, my oldest is 14 and I'm like, I have a hard enough time leaving them at home, you know, to, (laughs) to run to the quick trip. Uh, (laughs) But like, you know, my dad played in the big leagues. He coached his entire life. I grew up in the clubhouse. So, you know, it was a little different in this regard. Um, You know, and I, they put me on this little prop plane in, in Mississippi and I flew to Memphis and then flew out to Arizona. We had phone cards back then. You didn't have cell phones like you do now so readily available. Um, and yeah, had to learn what it meant to get along with people that, you know, don't live right down the street from you or don't live in the same state as you. You're doing life with, you know, guys. We had, had a catcher from Germany, you know, had catchers and, and teammates from Dominican and Venezuela. And, you know, how do you communicate with them? And there's all those cultures and it was pretty awesome. It was amazing. And then I realized this is where I'm supposed to be in life. I'm supposed to be in a clubhouse somewhere. So that's what I missed the most. But what I love the most was the clubhouse environment. Sure. And you mentioned your your long career and your baseball reference page is, is personally fascinating. I love that website. And I love looking at, you know, the people's journeys that they've taken. And uh, you know, looking at yours, you know, you first went out to Montana and then scenic Beloit, Wisconsin, uh, Brevard oh, County, yeah. Huntsville, Nashville, Lancaster, PA, uh, Venezuela, yep. Colorado Springs. <laughs> um, how do you kind of sum up all the different places you've been when people, you know, ask you, you know, oh, what, what was it like playing baseball in those places? I just, I don't know. You, you experience a little bit and you take those nuggets with you as you go. And I don't know, at the end of your career, you look and you just, you know, maybe it wasn't always a baseball lesson that you were able to, you know, some sort of new knowledge, but you just, you become a better person. I feel like you just, you feel comfortable in different situations. You feel like you can communicate better with uh, the people around you. And um, in the baseball world, they call it feel like you want feel (laughs) and feel is just having a heightened awareness of how you're coming across in every situation. Um, I wouldn't say I have a ton of feel, but I've been in situations that you know, for some people could be very uncomfortable. I was in, I was in Venezuela in 2014 and, you know, they have rolling blackouts there and it's very common. Um, so I'm at this hotel, uh, it's government run hotel and, uh, in Maracaibo and for two days, the power was out in the entire city. Huh. So I was fine. I had a great time, you know, I'd eaten the food there, you know, hanging out with the people, uh, even though it's semi dangerous in some places, but my wife and kids are here in the States <laughs> and all of a sudden she can't reach me for two days. <laughs> so just off the grid in South just, America. Somewhere. I mean, yeah, she, for all she knew, she didn't know there was, a, you couldn't text, you couldn't call. There was no landline. It was 48 hours that she, like, she, who, who is she called? The embassy? Yeah. I don't even know. What's the embassy's number in Venezuela? Nobody knows this stuff. So anyway, it was, um, it was just amazing. And so I have this amazing story of 48 hours where I'm just off the grid in Venezuela. Uh, also played in Mexico. Um, and yeah, all over the country, you get to see some amazing places. You see these little towns in, you know, the smaller a ball and double a area and then triple a, you get to go and play in places like Omaha or Sacramento or um, Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> so you, you, you just, I don't know, everywhere you go, you just, you see the food, you see the culture, you see the people and, my last probably 10 years, I thought I was going to be done playing. Um, so I tried to experience everything more. And so I'd go walk around in the city. I'd go to museums. I'd go to exhibits. And I, you know, maybe I'd been there 10 times, but I wanted to experience more because I was more relaxed, right? You get older, you just you feel a little bit more comfortable in your skin. So it wasn't all about, I got to make sure I get all my rest so I can pitch better 
You know, it was more like I, I can pitch just fine or probably better, you know, so I can go walk around the city. And anyway, you see this a little bit. Adam Wainwright last year or two years ago started his old man walks sure. after he would have a start and he would go walk around the stadiums and it's borderline genius at, I, you know, he's at a point in his career. And so he goes around, takes pictures with the people, takes pictures of the press box and um, different little quirks around the stadium. So that's kind of what I was doing, but you know, years ago, but on a minor league type level. <laughs> And you spent a lot of time in Nashville, which oh, yeah. was the Brewers affiliate, and then it wasn't, and then it was again, that whole flip-flop there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, ultimately getting up to the majors with Milwaukee, you're you're working with the Brewers and Bally now. What is it about the Milwaukee and, and Wisconsin in general that, that makes it special and a place where you want to, you know, be spending a lot of time these days? Very strange. Um, so I'm in a small Mississippi high school and I'm a senior and I'm playing. I don't even know where we were playing. Where It was a road trip, right? We're at school buses in the parking lot. And I had probably the best game of my life. I, I hit two home runs, a double, a single. I caught six innings and I pitched the last inning and struck out the side. And as catching, I think I threw three people out. I threw two people out stealing and I think I back picked a guy. Um, so I mean, right, you know, write down the best game you've ever had. It, that that was it. That was my game. But but before my last at bat, I kind of look over to the side and there was a guy um, just standing there and you could just tell he, I was like, I don't think he's one of the parents, you know, yeah. maybe he's like a an uncle of somebody, <laughs> but he's just standing there in like khakis and a collared shirt. And you're just like, he's like, oh, hey, I was like, oh, hi, you know, went up and hit a hit a home run. <laughs> it was Jonathan's story. It was a brewer scout. And he first thing he said after the games, after he introduced himself, was like, have you talked to any scouts? And I was like, no, not, not one. That was the moment that my journey with the Brewers uh, started. And that was in 2001 and probably like April and did not know it would continue as long as it did. But there was that one little conversation. He happened to drive to the middle of nowhere to watch this tall, lanky, unbearded kid, um, you know, try to catch and pitch and hit and I don't know. Ed, if you don't know much about the Brewers organization, just know this. They are it is chocked full of amazing people. People that not only want you to be successful in what you're doing, but they want you to to be comfortable in who you are uh and support you. And it's just a bunch of good people that that want the best. And you know, you're nurturing ball players. These coaches are not just making you better on the field, they're making you better off the field. And I got that for so many years. And you hear from free agents that come over, they're like, dude, this is a special organization. And I had no idea because <laughs> I was with the, I was with these guys for you know almost 16 seasons before I went to, you know, played a couple years in Texas. But oh, and then I came rushing back for broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't, you know, as a player, you you don't get a really a chance to to have any influence unless you're really good at the big league level to you have no influence on where you play. Um, and it's the reason my family and I live in Nashville now is because AAA Brewers in 2007 was in Nashville and I made the team and uh, we got, went and got a small apartment with our second baseman. <laughs> and I don't know, you just it's the baseball and Brewers is so entwined in my entire life and has such a chunk of my existence um, that to me, it's just like breathing. So I don't I don't know why, but it started back, you know, 22 years ago. And I've been a fan of the Brewers my whole life. And, you know, kind of leading up to actually the year you made your debut back in 2008, I think that was a kind of real turning point with the 
organization with the city and kind of how they embraced the Brewers because it was the first time that there had been some winning there in, in quite a while. And that team in particular, I mean, I was there for CC Sebastia's first start and that place was sold out. It was electric. People were there before first pitch, which is not always common at, uh, at uh, Miller Park American Family Field. Um, but that team, that culture, that stretch run, what do you remember most about, you know, your first taste of the big leagues, a, a team that's making a push for the playoffs, you know, and that whole summer in particular? Yeah, well, it sounds like you're giving me credit for all of that. So I appreciate it. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, so when I signed in 2003, my scout who's now or yeah, the he was the area scout, Doug Reynolds. I think he's like number three on the scouting totem pole, or I'm not sure where he's at or what his title is anymore, but he's been there forever. Um, he said, hey, they got something special coming up the pipeline. Could be 2007, 2008, but there's a crop of guys that we're putting together that are going to be really good. And I didn't know, right? I don't know who's who. And mm-hmm. we didn't have the internet back then <laughs> like it's like it is now. So I show up to spring tra- or uh, extended spring training after I sign. And one of the first guys I ended up meeting after the draft was Ricky Weeks. And I actually talked to him in January when we were at fantasy camp for the Brewers. And he was telling the exact same story. He's like, Dillard, you're the first person I met <laughs> when I walked in the door. And so you knew he was special. His, um, You could tell just on batting practice. You're like, I've never heard a ball hit that way before. Um, and then finally got to play with Prince. Saw when Braun came along. You're just like, this is unbelievable. Like the talent here, Tony Gwynn Jr., um, Corey Hart, JJ Hardy, when you start putting it all together, you're like, this is pretty fantastic. Um, because these guys are not just good. Um, they all have a particular set of skills. You know, you, you think Liam Neeson <laughs> <laughs> that make them a nightmare for other teams. Um, so you knew it and you felt it. So 2008 for Doug Melvin to sit there and go, you know, we're not just going to go get a pitcher. We're going to go get one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in CC and CC kind of, you know, not only carried us to the playoffs, right. But he, he did so much in the clubhouse as well. Um, and I think that's the turning point in the culture when it changed. Craig Council, he was there. He knows what's going on. Um, and that's, you know, he's carried that over into what he's doing now. But it was just so special because all the on-the-field stuff is what the fans got to see. But there were so many cool moments uh, behind the scenes that that have stuck with me. Um, one in particular, I asked Cece one time, I was like, do you have a different, because he pulled some spikes out. And I was like, do you have a different pair of spikes for every start? And he was like, yeah. I was like, how do they get here so quick if you're just starting like every other day? And he was just horse laughing. We were laughing because it was a good, it was a fair question, right? This guy's a different pair of spikes. Every time he walks on the field, like how do you pull that off? Um, But anyway, he just, you know, had a contract with whatever shoe company and he just thought that was really funny. And he got to help design them a little bit with colors. And um, this is back when the brewer, you know, uh, major league baseball was, you know, very particular about their shoes. Now I don't think there's any rules about sure. what's on your shoes, but back then it was, you know, I think he probably had to pay a fine a few times, but I don't know. It just, there's so many cool little spots that, you know, I can go back to, but yes, of course it was just an amazing team and it did, it changed Brewers baseball changed in that season. And you talk about culture there and it's something that we certainly pride ourselves on at quick trip. We have something we try to bring to all of our, 800 plus stores. Can you kind of expand on what you mean by culture? What comes to mind when you think about a locker room that has a a good culture? Yeah. To me, it's allowing a person to be themselves. Um, 
and, and letting them feel comfortable. You know, there's a, the whole idea of, okay, you get called to the big leagues. Don't open your mouth, right? You're a rookie. Don't open your mouth, sit in the locker. You know, you can't, don't talk to anybody like that. That culture existed across baseball. Um, even what, maybe when I first got called up, that's kind of what I knew about it. That was what the stigma was. Um, and so like, you didn't see me goofing off <laughs> or doing anything. Um, and later on, next thing I know, I'm like running meetings, impersonating coaches and broadcasters and all sorts of stuff. They kind of put me on the, on the map doing that. But, um, there's a certain level of it's, it's okay to lose. It's okay to win. You win. Let's celebrate this win. You know, let's throw the music on. Let's celebrate. If we lose, that's okay too. We get to play tomorrow. You know, I'd been in clubhouses where you lose. It's, it's, you know, you hang your head. You're like, man, this is bad. Prince Fielder, after a loss, it was, everybody was kind of like, you know, how are we going to bounce back from this? And Prince would walk in from the field and he would make a joke about somebody that did something and everybody would laugh. And then it would just, everything after that was fine. Um, to have a good culture in a clubhouse, it's to know like, okay, let's learn from this. And now it's about preparing yourself, your mind, your body for the next day. Um, don't carry this back to your home. Don't carry this back to your hotel, to your family. And you have to have a, a you have to have leaders in the clubhouse that can pull that off. And it stems from the manager allowing that to happen because some managers, they want you to, you know, you, you go home and think about this. You know, you can't do that. And there's all this Guys know they're professionals. You don't get to the big leagues and not have an idea, but, but can that function? So the culture where guys hang out, you know, outside the stadium, that's a good place to be. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm honestly, it's not like that everywhere, but the brewers have it and they have it in bunches. And you talk about personality. You've certainly been able to develop and showcase your personality over the course of your career as kind of the rise of social media came up over the course of your career, being able to use, different platforms. Some of it is, you know, probably stuff you're just winging, talking into your phone. And some of it is highly choreographed skits that involve <laughs> people and props and vehicles. Um, what were you, did you have an end goal of all of this, of trying to showcase yourself? Or is it just, this is something funny I want to do in the moment? Yeah, I was totally against social media. I remember in 11, 2011, I had John Axford on my left and I had Niger Morgan on my right that's where I was my lockers <laughs> and, and they both had Twitter and I don't, I was looking at their Twitters and they would, you know, run tweets by me. And I was like, I don't think this is what you're supposed to use Twitter for. Cause <laughs> Axford would, you know, he didn't blow many saves, but he'd blow a save. And then these people would, you know, come after him and then he would, he would retweet it or something. And he would write down like, Hey, why don't y'all, you know, attack this guy or, you know, like, why don't you guys tell him what you really think, you know? And so he was, you know, kind of turning the negative stuff on, the, on those people. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to do that or not. And sure. then Niger's over here and he would be like, can I tweet this? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't think you should. I don't think you should say this out loud, dude. Um, and he like got a cat and, and he, you know, he was talking about his cat and taking pictures of like what the cat was destroying in his house. And I was like, I don't know, man, I, some of this stuff's funny, but you need to word it this way. And so I didn't really have a, I didn't really think social media was that great, but I was in a basement in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, an independent ball in the Atlantic League, living with a family. And my wife, I'm on the phone with my wife, and she says, you know, you're probably done playing baseball. So you need to, this is 2013, 14, sure. 14, I think. Um, she's like, you need, you need to start thinking about life after baseball and a way to meet people and to, you know, track down folks and, and you know, maybe get a job for the next, you know, career. 
Um, social media is a good way to do that. She encouraged me to get Twitter and Facebook, and she totally regrets that now because <laughs> <laughs> I just took it and ran with it. I was like, I'm not putting anything out there that's serious or negative. I was like, I'm a very positive person. Um, and I guess my one goal is if if somebody was following me on you know social media, I want them to be jealous of of the clubhouse. I want them to be jealous. The clubhouse is so cool. You get to hang out with all these guys for like seven months and you hang out with them more than you do your family. So they are family. They're more than family in a lot of ways. And so you experience this hard baseball life, especially in the minor leagues where you're grinding it out. Um, you got roommates on the road. And so I played cards forever. I played cribbage, um, board games, you know, every season we kind of get into something. And then all of a sudden somebody asked me, Hey, you ever heard of dub smash? Uh, so I got the app and the first one I did was Anchorman. He's like, milk was a bad choice. And it was very easy. I had the crazy beard and I right. just went up my, the wall was right next to my locker. Um, and I shot that video and it kind of just went from there. And I got, and what, here's what I find. Um, like Patrick wisdoms with the Cubs, you know, haters with the Padres. Now um, I got teammates all over the league, still guys that are done playing. And I get these messages on social media. Or they text me. They're like, you remember this video? <laughs> One of my, uh, you know, trainers, coaches, they're all, you know, you know, cause you're all together and then you end up scattering, right? It's just life. Um, and so it ended up being a way to, um, I don't know, just remember it was, uh, I don't know the right word, but that's our history. Like we have a way of remembering because we shot these videos. It's like, you remember when we were in Fresno and we shot this video? I shot a Mario video with um, Paolo Espino, who's with the Nationals, because we made fun of him and he kind of looked like Mario when we put a fake mustache on him. So we shot a video and then we get to remember it. And I had totally forgotten that Freddie Peralta was in it and he wasn't even supposed to be in it. He just put himself in it. Uh, and Brett Phillips is in that video. And we start looking at the props that we use and it just it brings you back in a way that you wouldn't be able to remember. It's a time capsule is what these videos are. So um, I had no real agenda when I started all this other than the way to build uh, a team in, in friendships and, and relationships um, is doing stuff together. And whether we're building a sandcastle or, you know, building Legos, right? You do stuff together and you create something. We were creating these ridiculous small films and had everybody involved. And uh, we had a great time and, and we all will always have that. So there's probably got to be a direct correlation between the conversation with your wife, <laughs> starting social media, and now doing what you're doing today, working as a television analyst. I mean, that's sort of a natural progression into a, you know, grown up version of, yeah. of what you're doing. What were those kind of transition or those conversations like as you're transitioning from being a ball player to a broadcaster? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not a broadcast analyst for my career. Right? <laughs> like, like they didn't sit there and go, this guy was so good at baseball that he needs to tell other people about baseball. No. Um, it, so 2020 came and the pandemic kind of aged me, phased me out of the game. Um, I was going to go back to spring training with the Rangers and it, I got a call from John Daniels, who was the GM president of whatever at the time. And he said, uh, listen, we're going to bring you spring training. He's like, but I can't promise anything because they were in Nashville. Let's see, 2020. Yeah. Signed back with 2020, 2021. I don't know if they were going to be in Nashville. No, they got kicked out. I tried the brewers. Brewers weren't going to hire me. Uh, Rangers brought me back. 
Um, he said, we're going to, we're going to bring you to spring training, but we're not, we can't guarantee you a spot. And he said, listen, I do not want to be the guy that has to fire Tim Dillard. <laughs> and I laughed, but he's being serious. He's sure. like, man, you know, he's like, you, you meant a lot to this organization in just a short time. Um, he was like, I don't want to be that guy. And I kind of got that too, from Tom Flanagan, when I talked to the brewers a couple of times. Um, so I kind of, the writing was kind of on the wall, but I was still going to go to spring training until I got a call very late. It was, I think spring training in the big leagues had already started. And I got a call, uh, from the broadcast side of the brewers. And they said, listen, they're like, would you consider retiring to start doing a pre and post game show on, on for the brewers? And anyway, my wife said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> she said, yep. She's like, he's ready to retire. He's done 18 seasons. She's like, I can't take this anymore. Um, but yeah, I retired and didn't know anything about broadcasting. I'd done it a few times just as a, in like a guest way. Um, but, it, but it's fun. It, it's, it won't ever be as, you know, as good. And anything I do will never be as good as being a professional baseball player and, and having, you know, those moments, but this is a new thing. And I got new family, right? These, everybody I'm working with, I got, I got camera people and, and stage uh, managers and producers and directors and you're always in your ear and some of them I've never seen their face but I know their voice from anywhere and um, co-hosts and it's just I don't know it's you're part of this new fraternity that's still right next to baseball so if you can't be on the field be as close as you can and um, I'm enjoying being as close as I can that's awesome I mean I think it was a natural fit um, it's a nice feel to both the pre and post game shows, you know, not too serious. Cause you know, you're playing a game, oh, yeah. it's baseball and that's, that's part <laughs> of the fun of it. So uh, it's been really cool to see that transition for you. Uh, one person I want to ask you about is we talked about him a little bit earlier was Craig council. You know, I think he's one of, if not the best manager in the entire major leagues. I think he's calm. He's relatable. He's analytical and old school, kind of that perfect blend what is it about him that makes him a, a good manager, a good leader in your mind and kind of what makes a, a successful manager in baseball in general? I think just paying attention, you know, you just, once you get in, it's free to pay attention, right? Like I think a lot of managers just walk in and, you know, stuff falls through the cracks and they're not trying to, you know, look for that kind of stuff. And I think Craig council has some feel he's done it. He probably could still go out and play. Um, he understands how hard it is. So he understands everybody's perspective. He knows what it's like to be a rookie. He knows what it's like to be in the big moments. He knows what it's like to fail and succeed. And so he knows how hard it all is. And so it kind of goes through that filter. Um, and he has surrounded himself with people that pay attention as well. Just a quick example, you know, Chris Hook, having Chris Hook in the big leagues, I think is it probably was overdue for a while because he was he's such a good pitching coach. He had a lot of these guys in the minor leagues, you know, a lot of the starters. Uh, but I, I was the oldest guy in Double A in 2014, and he was my, my pitching coach. We're in, yeah, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, Suter was on that team. David Goforth, if you remember Goforth. Um, anyway, it, he would make jokes like back when me and Timmy were teammates, <laughs> and I'm like, were we teammates? I don't think so. But he paid attention. So I made one minor adjustment playing catch before a game. And, and it was very subtle. It was just something about my front side. I was like, I, I, I did it a few times. I was playing catch with go forth. And he was like, dude, I like that. I think you should take that into the game. And I was like, really very subtle, 
nobody would know at all. So I went out, pitched in a game in like the eighth inning, and it was good. Like I was really good. I was very, you know, very dominant um, performance. Felt good where I was. Walk in, sat down, and and Hook really hadn't said much to me because you know what do you do when you get this old crusty guy that's almost the same age? You know, you're gonna try to tell him how to pitch, right? Like he, you know, I would have, I probably wouldn't have taken offense to it at all. But anyway, he came over and was like, uh, "Hey, Timmy, you doing a little something different with your uh, with your front side there?" I was like, yeah. He goes, how long you been doing that? I said, well, I just did it playing catch today. He goes, I like that. I think you should keep doing that. And I was like, okay, yeah, thanks, man. So it's not always a, a correction issue. It's not always a, you know, a mechanical something. It's it's just paying attention. And he and Craig Council has a group of guys that just pay attention. They see the game for what it is and what these guys are trying to do. And they're encouraging them. And they're also saying, here's the here's the numbers to back it up. And I I think a lot of times you look at some other teams, maybe they don't know how to convey that. And, and they don't have someone that's monitoring all this, you know, bird's eye view of stuff. And so anyway, I just think he's, he puts together the right team is what he does. And, and then he makes sure that everyone sticks together. So that's, that's a rare gift. You think everyone should do that, but it takes a lot of effort and time. So he's, you know, he's very dedicated in that way. And I think it's probably a fine line for a lot of managers and coaches to have to navigate dealing with world-class multimillionaires mm-hmm. who maybe aren't receptive to the most feedback in the world and kind of treating everybody, what is the phrase, fairly but not equal. You know, yeah. you, the way you treat people is not the same, but you're still treating everybody fair, finding that kind of balance within a clubhouse. Is that kind of what you see from from a good coach, a good manager? Well, he's a, he's a friend, you know, sure. I, I, I always advice I would get, you know, down the road would be like, well, you can't be, can't be a fan of this game. You can't be, don't be friends with your manager. I'm, I was friends with lots of my managers, you know, like it was only after I kind of got, you know, past that younger stage where I'm like, these guys are awesome. They have tons of wisdom, Don money. And I, in double a, I hadn't known him for several years. Um, he helped me. God, we were in the Mississippi Braves were playing the Braves and Chipper Jones actually was rehabbing. Um, I ended up striking him out. <laughs> Shameless plug. He also <laughs> hit a ball that almost took my face off. Um, but anyway, there was something that happened in the game and you know, I, not that I wondered about it, but I was frustrated. And anyway, after the game, Don money called me in his office and we sat there and, and, and I mean, I'm to this day, we are, we are friends. Like I just, it was that moment. I think for me, it was 2006. So I'd been in pro ball for three or four years, but, um, it just took like that olive branch of going, listen, we're just all a bunch of dudes trying to get this right. And, you know, whatever that looks like. And uh, to me, that is Craig council has been, uh, he's, he's, you can have a conversation with him. He's not going to chastise you. If you have a question about something, if something bothers you, his door is open and he's going to show the grace of you being able to convey that. Um, and you know, if he, if a guy needs a talking to, he'll pull him aside and won't do it in front of everybody. I mean, how many coaches you probably have where they're just, I'm going to embarrass this guy in front of everybody, you know, like he was late for practice. So we're all going to run. That's you can't do that stuff. (laughs) And so just being okay with having that pathway um, is really all it takes. I mean, Craig council is just a very you know humble guy that just wants to get it right. And um, there's a few instances where I saw even as a player that he would offer free wisdom. If you asked him, I asked him when I went sidearm in 2010, I went out to left field. He was shagging the left field. I went over to him and asked him, how would a lefty face 
a sidearm righty like myself. And he just walked me through the thought process of most lefties and what they see um, and, and what they're trying to do and what's easy for them, what's hard for them. Um, and, you know, just because he had it, he has the knowledge, but is he going to sit there and go out of his way to push people over to tell me what to do? No, that's not how it works. So just being okay to, for guys to come up and talk to him and for him to relay information. Very cool. Well, Tim, we do appreciate your time here. We want to have just a couple rapid fire questions oh, okay. to, to wrap things up here. First question, you've uh, you played at a lot of ballparks in your time. Oh, yeah. What is your favorite place you've ever played? Favorite place ever played? Um, right at the very first second, I thought of Fenway Park. My mm-hmm. dad uh, played his first major league game at Fenway Park after he was uh, drafted by the Red Sox and went through that system. I love the way they redid that park, um, it, the, the way they updated it, but yet it still has that feel. And now as I was there shagging in the outfield, Latroy Hawkins called me over and to left field and, and said there was a guy yelling at me and there was a guy full of like Bruin stuff and Boston Celtic stuff and Red Sox stuff. And he had pins like all over his hat and his vest. And he just yelled at me. He's like, are you Tim Dillard? And I was like, yeah. He goes, your dad was an awesome baseball player. Oh. And a great man. I was like, oh, I appreciate that. He goes, I loved watching him play the infield. And I was like, all right, thank you, sir. And then he just walked off. I was like, so anyway, you know, got to see the green monster inside of it. Like, so that was that that's a really cool. That was a cool road trip. Who is the most intimidating batter you've ever faced? I mean, all of them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Pitching's hard, but uh, intimidating batter. Um intimidating batter uh, one of the coolest at bats i got to face mike piazza okay in spring training 2007 he was with the a's i think I, and i remember thinking i had all this dude's baseball cards at one time because he was a big catcher and he could hit and he could throw and you know i had all his baseball cards and i had a man on first and i was like i can't think about the baseball cards right now i got to get this guy out and i got him to ground into a double play and that was cool. So I was intimidated for like 10 seconds. And then I was like, I'll just get a double play. Um, intimidating. Rafael for call has like four doubles off me and three at bats. Um, Molina as well. I'm trying to think. There's a lot of Molinas. I mean, we could go all day on this quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Yadier is Yadier Molina. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't remember feeling in, in like, oh no, I can't throw a pitch. It was more like, I'm going to throw this pitch. I hope he doesn't hit it over the slide. <laughs> i will say i almost faced albert pujols once that you know sidearm i was righty and they pulled me out of the bullpen to face pujols you know i'm leaving the the bullpen and they were like hey you got pujols coming up and i was like all right here we go this is it this is the best of the best i gotta get him out and i run out to the mound and it was mark hamilton uh, a guy that i was in the fall league with (laughs) that was pinch hitting (laughs) and i remember thinking this that's oh man i got I got him out, yeah, but still, I'd rather have wanted to face Pujols. But anyway, sorry, my long sure. answer. This no, isn't very rapid good. fire. <laughs> all good. Uh, what's the best part about being in a bullpen when you know you're not pitching that day because you know you pitched a couple innings the day before and you just got the day to enjoy watching the game in the bullpen? Well, that's the first mistake is thinking you just have a day off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, if I've had coaches tell me, "Hey, you're not going to pitch today." And then I'd be the first guy up. And that happened multiple times. Uh, I, we were in Albuquerque and we we're playing cards 
And pitcher coach came in asking, hey, you good today? You good today? You good? And I was like, I'm good. I can give you an inning. And he was like, Dillard, you have pitched a ton. You have to let some other people pitch. You're not, don't even take your glove to the bullpen. Don't take your spikes. And he was right. I'd thrown like uh, two innings, day off, two innings, day off, inning, inning. And so, yeah, it would have been like my third day in a row. Um, he was like, yeah, don't take your glove. Blah, blah. So I was like, sweet. I got a day off. And it was Erasmo Ramirez, a uh, little lefty that was on, you know, we weren't cards, cards teammates. And, you know, he was my enemy when we were playing <laughs> Pasoy. And he leans over and goes, listen, you never have a day off in the bullpen. He's like, you need to prepare like you're going to be the first guy up. And I was like, whatever. So game rolls around. I'm walking out there. My hat's barely on. I got my spikes and my glove and I got a whole bag of snacks. Anybody that's played in Albuquerque knew that they had some of the best snacks. So I'm down there in the bullpen. And um, anyway, Nick Ungs was the starter. And it's a it's a pretty tough place to pitch. Elevations like 4,500 ball flies, carries doesn't you know fly true. Anyway, I didn't retire a hitter for like eight batters. So they called down or like Dillard's in the game and everyone looks at me and I'm over there half deep in Twizzlers or Red Vine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. And sure enough, like got up. I, I almost didn't have my spikes or my glove. Like that's how close I was convinced. And that's when I learned like you never have a day off in the bullpen. You never have a day. Even if the coach tells you, you have no idea what can happen in a baseball game. Um, you always have to be ready. So that's why I'm so paranoid like I am now. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and last question. Let's say game's over. You're looking for some post-game food. And for some reason, Taco Bell is closed. You know, if anybody's followed you, we know your your love for the free tacos at the giveaway. Yep. Um, <laughs> what's your what's your best go-to meal after a hot day at the ballpark? Hot day at the ballpark. I mean, usually now, now they have post-game spreads, right? Like that's they didn't, you know, depends on what level you're playing at. But even after the broadcast the other day, um, I got the Taco Bell at and I'm not dogging Taco Bell. Don't take this as negative, uh, but it was nine fifty eight, and I went to the drive through, and the lady said they close at ten. Oof. So uh, it was before ten. But anyway, after that, I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna eat some snacks." So I'm a big snacksman. Um, so I, I don't even know what I got. I got uh, like some trail mix. That was it. Uh, but a hot, sweaty day. Um, you want to play it safe. So like <laughs> a like a peanut butter and bread sandwich. <laughs> like like just eat safe food in the hot sweaty summers uh i don't know that's not a very great answer but it's usually taco bell of course sure well tim we we appreciate your time here on the quick cast today we look forward to seeing you on the broadcast all summer long with valley sports wisconsin and milwaukee brewers pre and pro post game and best of luck to you and uh, the brewers this upcoming season yeah i appreciate it chris you know i will say uh, let me say this i what I, the the other day when I got denied at Taco Bell, I did go to Quick Trip. I there forgot about this. And I pulled a new thing. And I don't even know if this is legal or not. Uh, but I took one of the tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the, I don't even know what kind it was. It was the buffalo chicken um, cheese, maybe. Anyway, and I put it on a hot dog bun. So I don't know if they, I don't think they, y'all charged me for it. So I appreciate that. But that was good. You know, usually I would have gone for a hot dog, but I'm like, I'm going to try this. Uh, and it was fantastic. So. Do you just, dress it up with some condiments or would you, you know, I figured the cheese that was inside would do the job and it did. Um, yeah, I would recommend it. I don't know if that's on the menu. I don't know if I created something new, but hopefully I did. Maybe we can call it the Dillard dog or something. Yeah. Get it. I can talk to some people. Trademark pending. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Sounds good. Tim, we, we appreciate your time here on the quick cast and uh, best of luck with everything moving forward. 
Great. Thank you. Go Brewers. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the QuickCast. Hey, we'll see you next time.